Welcome to the Finding Backcountry Podcast with your host, Dustin Whitwer. I am Dustin Whitwer, and this is the Finding Backcountry Podcast. Follow along on my journey of learning from the best backcountry hunters each week as we explore valuable information I use to find success in the backcountry. Let's get to the show. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Finding Backcountry podcast. This one is going to be super unique because I'm currently leaving the office at work and needed to uh wanted to rip a podcast and just i do not have any spare time right now and i work about 30 minutes 40 40 minutes or so 45 minutes from where i work i live and so i've just i'm gonna rip a podcast driving home call it podcasting from the pickup or whatever you want to call it but um had a couple episodes since we fired the podcast back up and this is a continuation of the Q and A's that I threw up on Instagram a while back, uh, specific to gear and then also applications and tags over the counter and stuff like that. Um, I'm going to plan on wrapping this into one podcast. There wasn't a ton of questions on gear there was twice as many on um applications and tags and stuff and if you can believe it or not we're in the middle of tags you know not in the middle but we're in the we're in the big beginning of tag season for 2023 um if you are into over-the-counter especially um, Idaho, make sure I don't get hit here. Idaho is going to open up with their over-the-counter deer tags on December 1st. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, if you're crazy like me, you're planning hunts while you're on hunts for next year. But if not, and your hunts are just kind of winding down or wrapping up, uh, too, and you're, you know, taking a deep breath from the season, it's time to start thinking about next year already. So, uh, most applications and hunts across the West are not this early as Idaho does theirs, uh, December 1st for the over the counter, you know, uh, Utah, March ish, Nevada, April ish, May ish, um, you know, Wyoming non-resident elk is fairly early. I think in January still, um, I'm just rattling them off the top of my head. Uh, Colorado is probably April-ish, I want to say. Arizona's split, so elk and antelope, I believe, are early, like January or February. And then deer and whatever else, deer and sheep or deer and something else are late, 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 like June or July. Um... What other states? New Mexico, I think, is kind of right in the middle of there. March or April, I want to say. March. Um, yeah. Uh, Montana. I don't know. I never apply for Montana, so don't expect me to know. I want to say April-ish. March or April. Somewhere in the middle, I think. Wyoming, for the residents, is later, like May-ish. End of May or 1st of June, I think. Uh Idaho, I told you, Idaho over the counter for deer and elk, December 1st, and it's an absolute dogfight. I'll talk about that, but um, then their later stuff, the limited draw stuff is later, I think like June, I want to say, for like elk and deer and antelope and or, not and or, or sheep or moose or goat or, you know, whatever, uh, you have to choose in Idaho, do you want to put in in the limited draw for deer, elk, and antelope, all three, or do you want to choose one of the once-in-a-lifetime sheep, moose, 
goat. Uh, what am I missing? Sheep, moose, goat. What else do they have up there? I don't think they have any buffalo hunts. Anyway. Um, so, yeah, it's time. Uh, and I, I freaking love this stuff. Um, you know, I do a ton of research on my draws. I I love it more. I don't love it more, but I, I, I love it as much. I love it as much as hunting, finding and choosing and researching and, and applying and drawing units or not drawing units usually in my case, but, you know, doing the research and mapping it out and understanding the systems and the processes of all these different states, um, not just the draws, but the turnbacks and the returns and the first come first serves and the you know, leftovers and the second leftover and blah, blah, blah. It just goes on and on in every single state. It feels like takes a PhD. Um, and I know the seven or eight that I apply for pretty dang well. Um, there, you know, every year I have to refresh on something or they change something obviously, but, um, I've got a pretty good pulse on how it works and, you know, and just generally, you know, I, I'll know some states better than others. Um, you know, states that I've hunted really hard, Nevada, Utah, Wyoming now, um, and some that I don't know as well that I haven't hunted as much, right? Arizona, New Mexico a little bit. Um, don't don't know or care much about Montana at this point. Um, Idaho a little bit. But anyway, I love it. I look forward to it. It's my favorite like I said, I really think it's so much fun. I love it. So that being said, um, what else? What else do I need to rattle off before I jump in here? Uh, like I said, if there's a little, you know, background noise or hum of the truck, sorry. I'm uh, <laughs> speaking of acquiring tags. Uh, oh, about that doe tried to cross the road. You know you live in a good town when there's mule deer just right here outside of town. Um, yeah, I talked about this on, I think, the podcast that just released, the one I did with uh, Stephen Rosso on elk and late bull elk hunts. And I did that. A, I had some questions, a few questions on elk, but, you know, even though most of my any loyal followers I have seem to be mule deer nuts like I am, but I still, <laughs> listen, I do not, I don't hunt elk. I don't. Even when I have elk tag in my pocket and I'm out in elk country, like I'm trying not, I'm secretly hoping I don't see a big bull because, you know, if it's very big, I might have to shoot it and it would ruin the deer hunt that I'm on usually. That being said, Okay, I don't elk hunt, but when I do, like this, it is going to be an awesome elk elk tag. This is this is exactly my, this is my perfect elk hunting scenario. And I, you know, everyone, anyone who knows what I've got will say, "Well, duh," you know, of course it is. Um, Stating the obvious. But what I mean, I don't mean, you know, necessarily that I expect to get this tag every year and that that's my goal, but premium hunts like this or nothing. I really couldn't have, you know, I, I didn't, I, I wasn't like planning on drawing this or, you know, purposely putting in for these tags um, with enough points to draw them or anything. It just fell in my lap, so to speak. And so I'm going to take it. So I don't hunt elk, but when I do, um, it's going to be a good hunt is the goal and I'm going to kill a big bull. So I, uh, you know, if you're not haven't didn't catch on the previous podcast and if you want to go dive into late season elk hunting, that's the podcast to do it on. But I, um, secured a first come for surf tag in Nevada for a premium late bull tag, late bull unit. So, um, you know, on that right there, middle of the season, if you've got the, <laughs> if you got the luck, and you got the time and the patience and understand, you know, you almost have to, 
the way that system works now, you have to really know what you're looking at before, you know, almost as you're clicking the button to put it in your cart. If you even see a tag, like it's got to be, you've got to process it in split seconds. And I could easily see someone who doesn't quite, well, someone who doesn't quite know what they're doing on the first come first serve or isn't completely familiar with Nevada's units they're probably not going to get one. If they do, it's going to be a crap tag. And the reason is because if you take any amount of seconds, a half a second to process the tag that just popped up, like, oh, what, wait, what unit is this, right? It's a 081 or whatever it happens to be, right? Like, let's see. And you, like, you think you're going to go, you know, research it or pull up Go Hunt or anything like that. Not going to happen, right? You're not going to get it. Uh, it is such a dogfight for any sort of decent tag on there. I when when the tag that I got popped, and then I've gotten two of these over the last few years now. I'm clicking and putting it in my cart within well under two seconds, probably closer to one second. Tag pops, boom, in the cart. Like it's got to be that quick, and so there's no guessing or you know you know, trying to decide what, what's there. Oh, wait, is that a, and the other thing is like antlered or antlerless, right? I mean, they put a picture there. So it's, you know, if you didn't see a bull elk, like you saw a cow, then that's a <laughs> red flag. I feel like could weed it out pretty quick, but anyway, it is, it's craziness. It's absolute dog fight. Um, but I'm, I'm convinced what, whether it's a premium tag or not, who knows, but if I'm convinced if someone sits on that all hunting season from archery to muzzleloader to rifle to late rifle or whatever in Nevada, you can, it looks like some deer crossing the road again, podcasting from the pickup. Uh, you can get a tag. Trust me. That's yeah. More deer crossing the road. They just don't care. Little Bucky. Not a big bucky. Oh, you're going to turn and go the other way, are you? Oh, now he's coming back the other way, and he slipped on the ice. <laughs> Better get off the highway, partner. You ain't going to live long. Um, Little two-point. Don't go south towards Utah. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> anyway, so that's that's a, that's one right there. First come, first serve. If you've got the job or you've got the time and the patience and the knowledge of what you're looking for, uh, you, I'm convinced you can get a tag throughout the season and whether it's a deer or an elk or an antelope or whatever it is, I don't know, but I'm convinced you can get one. If you're just like clicking right on the, you know, as soon as something pops, you'll get one eventually. But anyway, let's go through some of these questions, uh, with app season tags and all that kind of stuff. I'll try to give as many tips and whatever I can here. So. Some of these are, you know, pretty specific, like, oh, I've got this many points. When am I going to draw antelope or whatever? Uh, should I, so speaking of antelope, uh, Fishboy26, should I give up trying for an antelope in Wyoming? Uh, I don't know. I need to know a little bit more info. I assume that you mean drawing, actually drawing a tag and you have X number of points. And you're just not able to draw a permit. I hope that you don't mean like, oh, I keep drawing tags and I can't actually kill one. Um, should I give up trying for an antelope in Wyoming? Because, oh, uh, no, I think if you're an antelope guy for some reason <laughs> and you're after good antelope or decent sized antelope and you're willing to um, accumulate, you know, I don't know. I bet five, I, I'm not a non-resident, so I don't keep up on this as much, but I bet five points you could get a tag somewhere in the state, right? And probably around 10 points, you might get a decent tag somewhere in the state for antelope. Um, you know, which sounds like maybe a lot for antelope, but listen, if you're not a resident of a state, there are very, very few, there's nowhere that you're going to have more chances to draw a tag than Wyoming for antelope especially if you're a non-resident of the state, right? Uh, most states just don't have any more. Nobody has more antelope than Wyoming, right? There's more antelope than people here. Um, and so, no, I don't think that you should give up trying for an antelope in Wyoming. But depending on how many points you have, if it's, you know, sub five, you just need to 
you know, buy your time a little bit. If it's, you know, more than five and less than 10, you're probably getting close. And if it's over 10, then you might be just shooting for the stars or and or you need to put in for the special draw to tip your odds just a little bit more in your favor. But no, antelope in general in Wyoming as a, for non-residents, it's the place to come try and get an antelope because there ain't another state giving out more antelope tags than Wyoming. I don't believe we have the biggest, biggest goats ever, so I don't think you're going to come and kill a 90-inch goat if that's what you're thinking or waiting for. Uh, but most guys just, when they hunt antelope, they just want to have a fun, relaxing hunt for, you know, mid-70s type antelope, 70, 75, maybe, you know, chase some 80-inch goats. And, and some of the good units down in the Red Desert type stuff, the 60s, I want to say, 61, 65, somewhere in there again, 63, I don't know um, exactly. But there's there's a legit, you know, there's big goats down there, 80-plus for sure. Um, you know, and maybe, maybe even bigger, but yeah, no, I think Wyoming's the place. I'm going to knock off, there's at least one other antelope question here. So my buddy, Sam, what up, Sam Keith? You don't care about antelope. I don't know why you're asking this, but Wyoming antelope, 10 points. See, I bet you Sam is in that sweet spot where it's like, uh, he's probably not applying, Sam. And if you are, you're probably shooting for the absolute stars, I would guess. I might be way off and it might be like 15 points, but it ain't much more than that. And you could, I mean, for 10 points, Sam, a guy could come down and have a pretty dang good antelope hunt in Wyoming, especially, um, you know, as relatively close as you live, I think, but. I don't know a unit, Sam. Uh, try 61 if you can draw it. Uh, let's see. <clears throat> Silas Outdoors. Will people with 15 points ever draw a 76 tag in Colorado? <laughs> uh, off the top of my head, no. I don't think you will with 15 points. No, you will eventually, I think. Because I don't think it's creeping. I don't know. Maybe it is creeping a point a year. Uh, I've got a buddy in the office that's got more than that. He's got 16 or 17 points and we keep looking, you know, every year and he's not quite there. So it might be creeping a point a year, but I doubt it. Uh, so yeah, you know, my question on that, honestly, is what are you, you know, I, I know 76 well enough to know that it's an incredible hunt and an incredible unit as far as just a lot of bulls, a lot of opportunity, um, but I don't necessarily think or I wouldn't expect to go kill something bigger than, not that they're not in there, but like a 350 bull in there would be a monster, um, you know, so you're probably going to be hunting a lot of 310 to 330 bulls uh, would be my guess. And, you know, which it brings me to the real point I want to make is like Colorado elk, it's just not worth it. Gosh, I hope you're a resident you know, if you're a resident, you're probably getting close. But um, anyway, I don't know it that well. I don't know the seasons that well. Never hunted it. Uh, I just know of it. And gosh dang, I don't know, man. I see guys killing. I see a lot of guys killing. I hate to say this, but just as big of bulls, you know, 320, 330 bulls sometimes on the over-the-counter units. And so I feel like it might be a little bit like the deer where, you know, Wyoming or uh, Colorado points, you know, you cross that threshold of like once you have more than five or eight, right? Definitely like 10. You just in no man's land. Like, and I feel like that might be where 15 non resident elk points is if, if your ultimate goal is like a premium unit down there, like you'll never catch it. You might not ever catch those premium units. And I, again, I, I would call 76 just, again haven't hunted it but from what i understand i would consider it a premium experience hunt but not a premium uh, like trophy you know you ain't gonna go kill well again never say never but the chances of killing a 380 inch bull down there is very 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 probably very slim if if at all um you know and that's what 15 points i feel like should get a guy like you know or something close to that 350 to 370 type bulls that is a 15 years think of how many 
elk tags that you could have drawn in 15 years and you know maybe not not one every year let's say but one every five year type of a unit somewhere down there and you learn the unit and you find where the elk hang out and oh you find this spot you know and there's a bull that hangs out in this nasty canyon you go back and hunt him three years later and you go kill him or whatever like I don't know. I just, I hate accumulating points in states like that for hunts that I don't feel like it's worth it. You might as well just burn them and go hunt what you can hunt right now. But I also understand, like, if I had 15 points, listen, I have, I have a pretty good amount of points in Colorado, but it's because I don't care, right? I would never be the guy asking on a Q&A, you know, what should I do? When am I going to draw this ultimate premium tag with my points? Like I literally get points because they're dirt cheap, like $9 once I apply and draw my deer tag every year. Right. And so I literally couldn't care less. I'll sit on them until I'm 59 or 72 or whatever it takes until I am the, the max point holder in Colorado. And then I'll go hunt the most premium epic tag or whatever, I want, right? Because I just don't care um, unless it's the the best of the best of the best. So if that's you, I would look at other units. Uh, if you're looking at, you know, 360, 370, 380 type bulls that you want to kill. And if not, then, you know, are you ever going to draw it? I don't know. Probably, but not, not this year. Uh, Walt Whittemore, <laughs> will you do my apps for me? <laughs> yeah, I will. Uh I would do my app, or uh, I would do your apps for you, Walt. Um, don't be surprised when you draw tags, though, because <laughs> I will get you tags. Braxton, my cuz, places to apply when first trying to expand outside of where I'm used to. Well, Braxton, uh, knowing that where you're from, which is Utah. Um, I have to, first I have to ask you, I guess, like, you know, any, anytime someone's talking about how oh, I'm going to go apply outside of my home state or whatever, why, why, right? That's the first question that you've got to answer. And I want to know is why, is it because you just want, you know, you want three tags in a year instead of, um, one, right. Or none sometimes in Utah that you can draw. And there's no, there's not that one of these answers is right or wrong or that I'm looking for a specific answer. I just need to know why um, so that we can put a plan together, right? Now, if it's uh, I want to go kill the biggest, you know, I want to go hunt other big bucks, then that's a different uh, application. So places to apply when first trying to expand outside of where I'm used to depends on what your objective is it always does uh, you know living in utah if i just wanted another deer tag right assuming braxton that you're not you know are you the type of guy who's only going to kill 180 inch deer or bigger like i don't know probably not but um if you are then you need to be obviously if you're not applying to your neighboring state in Nevada, it's a long shot, but you might as well be applying, right? You'll never draw them if you don't apply. Uh, the premium units south of you in Arizona. And then Colorado, you got to be, you know, that to me is the, the first, like, regardless of what your objective is, if you want to go just hunt good bucks, Colorado. You want a chance at a big, big buck if you can hold out, Colorado. Uh, and you're going to get a tag, right? You can get a tag every year or two or three or whatever every year if you're real, if you get good at it. But, um, yeah, so it depends on your objective. Uh, Idaho, like, right? Like I was saying, these over the counters that are coming up, um, guarantee you there's probably 180 inch deer in any one of these, you know, general regions that they, or whatever they call them, the zones, or I guess with deer, you have to choose your specific unit, but. Um, you know, still there's 170, 180 inch deer in almost all those. And if you can get in and get a good spot in line to get a decent tag or whatever, um, boom, over the counter hunting Idaho. And that's, you know, my advice to someone like you, Braxton is don't be careful because <laughs> I've been where you're at in life. And all of a sudden, um, 
oh, I'm going to light the West on fire, and you accidentally do, right? If you if you really try to get tags every year, it's not that hard. Um, you know, Idaho, over-the-counter, you can get one almost every year, I think. Colorado, you should be able to basically get a tag every year if you're not being super picky. You know, even there in Utah, like, you should be able to get probably a tag every year, whether it's archery or not. I don't, I don't know if that's true or not, but I feel like – some of those units now, again, they're not the faint, you know, the big popular units, but all of a sudden you've got three, four tags in some out of state hunts that you've never been in. And you might not have, you know, the money or the time off of work to go put in the diligence to go do a scouting trip. And then you show up and, you know, three of the four hunts, the new hunts that you have in all these units, if you even have that much time off of work, you show up and you don't know where to look and you spend, you know, the first four days of a seven day hunt learning the unit and learning where the deer actually hang out or where the hunting pressure all is or, oh crap, like I thought I could get up this road and I can't, right? And so the point is start with one, just start with one. And I would recommend starting with as close as possible. So kind of knowing where you live, like Idaho would be pretty hard to pass up, man. Colorado's right there, too. Take your pick, right? Flip a coin. What I would do is I would have a handful, do a little bit of research in Idaho, have a handful of the top four or five units there that you can get on that over-the-counter deal. See where you end up on December 1st. Log in. See where you end up in line. And if you jump in and you've got one of those options for one of those tags, boom, you take it. And if not, you have the <laughs> the discipline to just step back and say, okay, like, you know, I mean, well, again, what's your objective, right? If, if you want a really good buck, then you hold out for one of those top few units. And if not, you walk away and you wait until the Colorado draws. Um, or if you just after a hunt, then who cares what unit you get, right? Most of those will hold deer. So, and then if you didn't get that or you don't get in there in time or whatever, the units that you want are sold out great you go apply in colorado if you don't draw in colorado they have second you know a second draw and then they have their first leftover list i mean it's then they do it again every tuesday or whatever every week in colorado so it is not that hard to get tags like that if you want so uh, idaho colorado that's where i would start maybe apply for some of those other unit uh states if you're after big bucks <laughs> thurston what are we hunting in alaska well, it depends. I can't hunt. I don't have any family up there, dude. You do. And so um, it would be you guys could hunt the, I think, the sheep and or is it bear that residents can guide for. They're, you know, it's kind of like Wyoming wilderness type deal. Um, but for me, it would be like caribou or moose, um, not sheep, not the sheep or not the bears, but not without a guide um kyle vincent <laughs> five points general deer in utah for wants rifle wait for the pine or a different unit listen pine the listen very poor very carefully there's some big bucks on pine valley it's probably one of the most dangerous hunts that someone who doesn't know the unit can get because it is just not that easy of a hunt. I know a lot of really good buck hunters, at least a handful, I guess, who have drawn that tag over the last five, six, seven years because, you know, they're these are guys who might be tied into the real inner circles and they know the guys who are killing some big deer down there and they think they're just going to go... I'll get my, you know, 190 inch deer somewhere on Pine Valley unit. And I'm telling you, they almost always get their butt handed to them. It is not an easy hunt. So, uh, yes and no. I mean, it, it kind of goes back to the Colorado elk question, elk point principle, right? Like, I don't know how many points that unit's taken. It can't be much more than five, you know, but are you more interested in hunting that unit every seven years let's say it takes seven points i bet it does six or seven for a non-resident more maybe now i don't know it's probably right there early rifle at least 
because it it's if you unless you're going to scout the piss out of that hunt and that unit i don't care if it's the late rifle muzzy archery or whatever or if you're going to hire a guide then that's different right um but if you're just going to think that oh because it's this pine valley unit i'm going to go down there on my you know with my six point tag or whatever and i'm there's going to be 180 and probably not going to happen man so uh now that's also true of the other units too but you can hunt them more often right that's the point i'm making so uh and again the question is are you going to put the time in if it's a new area new unit and i can't remember where you live kyle but um, if you're not going to dedicate like some hardcore one to three weekends, right? One to three, like solid three day weekends of scouting per year, then like you might as well just go hunt whatever unit you can draw right now and then hunt it again every two points or whatever, or one point or something, whatever unit it is. Um, because, you know, if you're not going to put the time in scouting, you need to put the time in hunting it year after year after year. And so the more often you can do that, the better, right? There's no point in hunting a unit, you know, that takes six, six or seven points to draw uh, that you're all, that you're not going to go scout. That's a pretty tough unit to find big bucks in consistently. So anyway, that's my two cents from knowing that hunt pretty well. Um, Where are we at? This is about it, and then we'll get into some of the gear ones. None of these others were real relevant. Are the are the Colorado second choice deer hunts still worth the effort for a trophy mule deer hunter? Well, um, yes, and it depends, right? I mean, <clears throat> I've actually never hunted Colorado second. That being said, the second, third, and fourth rifle seasons are basically a flip of the coin on the weather right now obviously fourth season's going to have a better chance than second season of having a rut and a bunch of snow going on right but it also is going to take a whole bunch of points right so is to answer your question is a second season tag worth it for a trophy deer hunter well, define trophy, but yeah, I mean, I honestly, I think it is. If you're like a hardcore rifle guy and not willing to pick up, and this is the other half of this question answer, is if you're not, if you don't have a muzzleloader or aren't willing to pick one up or, or archery, um, you know, then it might be your, it might be the sleeper, right? It's, it's, it's the, it's the most underrated chance at a big buck, um, depending on the year too, right? This year, the second season was relatively late, like first week in November, I think here, and they got a bunch of snow and I saw quite a few pretty good bucks tipped over on that second rifle, you know, and that happens from year to year. Sometimes the third season will get hammered with snow and then fourth season it's t-shirt weather, you know, or whatever. And same with second season. Sometimes, you know, second season gets hammered and then third season is, you know, 75 and t-shirt weather. So those Colorado deer rifle seasons are just can be such variable on the weather um, and or the later hunts like the fourth seasons just take so many points sometimes because they're over you know they're almost overrated I think um, third season you know even a little bit too but yeah I think for a rifle hunter if we're just talking rifle hunters I think the second season is probably the sleeper now you know if it rolls, if it's like end of October, obviously we know how hard it is to hunt trophy bucks in the end of October. But first, like if they keep pushing the dates back, I haven't looked at what the upcoming dates are and what their little season structure changes over. But um, yeah, absolutely. I think there's plenty of big bucks that get killed on the second seasons in Colorado. And again, I like the fact that, you know, a lot of those years it's going to be more of a like a migration type hunt than it is a rut hunt or anything like that right i don't believe that most of those big bucks have left the high country on november 1st necessarily unless they get uh just an insane amount of snow right and that like i said that's the variable so you know you're you're taking a high risk high reward is what a second season colorado tag can be relative to the weather but 
on the flip side, if you can go down and figure out the migration routes, if you can draw a tag that's got a distinct migration route type of a unit um, and you can figure those migration routes out, that second season can be a relatively good hunt. Uh, you know, bucks will come to you, so to speak, right? You set up on those migration routes, new deer are piling into these, you know, canyons and basins every day, and you're just looking over a lot of deer. And especially if, if all the stars align and you know the migration routes, and then you get a pile of snow up in the high country, like that's how big bucks get killed on that second season. So is it going to happen every year like that? Probably not. I know plenty of second season hunts in the recent past that have been, you know, probably freaking 80 degrees, uh, you know, at 7,000 feet and t-shirt and deer aren't even thinking about moving. And then you kind of got to go, you know, into that real grind of hunting bucks that, you know, might be up still up at 11,000 feet, you know, and hold into some, you know, or they might be dropped down a thousand feet to, you know, nine, five or 10 or whatever, but they're holed up in some nasty freaking pocket, just staging before it's time to, you know, and kind of be in solitary in their little sanctuary before it's time to leave. So yes. And depends. Second season, Colorado seems like a big high risk, high reward, you know, type of a tag. So, um, let's, do cover a little bit of gear here and then i'm almost home perfect current favorite rifle setup oh man um <laughs> current like today uh my 300 norma and that's because i've got this elk tag and it's exactly what i built that 300 norma for was big elk at long distances and so today it happens to be my 300 norma um yeah running the <laughs> i'm gonna attempt to run a 230 a tip through an elk with a th on my norma and just see what happens <laughs> i bet it kills it dead um, I've got a call a scope on there. If you're asking about my actual setup, I've got a, this is a map six, three, eight, six. I've got a call us five to 25. I in the MOAK reticle left windage, uh, M 10 rings, uh, American rifle company, M 10 rings, uh, sitting on a, an, a Kelby action, obviously long, um, with a, it's got a proof 26 inch proof. And then I run an eight inch can on the end of that. It is an absolute, it's like the walking stick of Gandalf. It is so long, but it's all sitting on the XLR element chassis, which, and I got the folding stock option. So, you know, if I'm actually packing it in my pack, then I can fold that stock up and it's not ridiculously long. But, you know, when you're like moving it around and getting ready to shoot, it's pretty, pretty ridiculous. But, <coughs> excuse me. Um, and then, like I said, 238 tips, Gunworks brass, H1000 powder. That's it. Um, what is your recommended Silas again? What is Silas Outdoors? What is your recommended pack for a seven-day trip? Uh, well, I can't recommend it yet because I just got it. But, you know, I've been running the... Jeebus. Um, oh, man. I can't ever keep the names of products in my head. Um, Reckoning, I want to say. I think it's the Reckoning. You know, and it's like, a, I want to say maybe five or 5,500 square cubic inches, I mean. You know, and just, it's a, it's a well-designed pack. I actually like it for big packs that are, what I don't, I don't like, I don't like packs in general that are just these big, one big pocket and you just dump everything. But inevitably on those long extended five, six, seven, eight, nine day trips, that's, it's just what the packs can be designed at. You can't have little segregated pockets for everything so um 
And then that being said, uh, going in on like a seven day hunt this last, this year, like, you know, 5,000 cubic inches or whatever it was at is pushing it, um, in that, even in that pack, especially if it's a little bit late season and you've got some extra stuff to pack extra clothing and stuff. So, um, I just ordered, this is all Kafaru. I'm sorry. I'm, if you guys don't understand by now, like I'm, I am, I'm just a diehard. I'm pretty loyal to Kafaru. Not that I haven't tried other packs over the years, but that's just, you know, when you find something that works that well, you just freaking run it. Um, and so, uh, these are all Kafaru packs. I just ordered the doll, which is like their, you know, big, it's got a little bit of the like quasi waterproof, uh, type material, but it was like their big, big, you know, seven plus extended day. So that would be my recommendation, even though I haven't tried it, you know, the bag is the bag and I, I like the way it's designed. Um, obviously the frame is what, you know, is really carrying the load there, but um, yeah, like a Kafaru with that doll. I think it's still on sale right now. I don't know how long that's going to go. And I don't know if it'll be up when this podcast, uh, still for sale when this podcast rolls, but that's my current favorite, like seven plus day, uh, pack water filtration and tents. Walt wants to know, well, water filtration. Um, I've been all over the board. I've tried a ton of stuff, man. Uh, we used to, you know, I used to run pumps. We kind of, I kind of got away from those because they're relatively heavy. Uh, for years now, all I've ever ran for probably the last five years or more is just my iodine tablets. And if you know your unit or you know the area has a lot of running water, that is extremely lightweight. And if you, you know, don't mind the taste or whatever, it's, definitely the you know lightest and the quickest yeah it's i mean it's relatively quick you got to wait 30 minutes for your water obviously to purify but um you know just recently i was here in wyoming yeah and i got in trouble man like i uh you know luckily i was there with a buddy um and he had a filter because we got in and the only water within miles was kind of stagnant standing puddles and he was able to filter it with his filter, right? And all I had at the time was my iodine. So the next trip that we went on, I broke down. Excuse me. It's been a long day. I broke down and uh, got one of those um, gravity fed. And the one I got was, oh, frick. My brother runs the platypus one. And mine was, I'll never remember. I told you I'm the worst with like product names. I'm the worst with names in general, right? If I see you and don't know you, know you, know you, I probably forgot your name, but I always remember faces. Um, mine might be Katadin and his might be Platypus, Jason runs. Anyway. It's one of those. It's a gravity one. I really like it. Um, after using it for a year, there's a little bit of a, you know, kind of a learning curve with it. Cause you've, you know, it's a big 10 liter and this is the downside to it. Is you got this big 10 liter bag and you're sitting there at the thing. And first of all, you've, you know, you have to have something else usually, cause we're talking like if there's just little tiny, you know, if it's like a lake or whatever, who cares? You are a big running stream. You obviously just dip the whole bag in, but most of the places we were finding water, teeny little, uh, you know, um, springs and, you know, whatever natural water sources, these little tiny dribbles of water coming down. And so really, really small, subtle little, um, streams of water. So I had to use my Nalgene to transfer water. And you can just imagine like you got this big open top 10 liter bag and you're sitting there dumping one liter, two liter, three liter, four liter. And all of a sudden the bag is you know, it wants to tip over and spill out. Right. And you kind of got to either sit and hold it or like carefully lean it up against something. And so that's kind of a pain, um, when you're dipping it, when you're getting it out of those really small running deals and transferring it. But, um, you know, if there's, if there's, like I said, if there's big, fast, lot of water moving, obviously, I mean, you have it full in you know, three seconds dipping it in the water, but, um, 
Yeah, so those gravity ones, the pluses to that is so awesome, man. Once you get it back to camp and you get it hung, you know, you got to be careful too on that one. I learned um, strapping it to your pack to hike back a certain way. <laughs> um, you know, there's little buckles, almost it's like a roll top, right? Like a dry bag. And so you roll it down and then you clamp the buckles around. And if you're not careful, I learned those buckles can get knocked and come undone. And then you got water everywhere, right? So. Um, you just got to be careful of that and, and figure out how to kind of rig it to hang on your pack and um, so you don't lose a bunch of water. But once you get it back to camp and get it hung, or if you're like camping near water, awesome, dude. Like they're so, you hang them up in a tree and then it's just, you know, turn, it's like being at home, right? You just walk over, turn the little uh, faucet on and then, you know, roll, you know, dump it into your Nalgene or into your uh, water bladder or whatever you're running and turn it off and you're done and you got you know 10 whole liters there and it's freaking awesome so i really like those gravities you got to watch them if it's super cold like it was a few nights maybe throw it um down in the bottom of your sleeping bag at night because those filters are not supposed to get frozen most any of them really and uh you know that's when like a steri pin would probably be nice if you're gonna go on a in a hunt where it's gonna be like this time of year or something where it's gonna be consistently freaking freezing then you might want something that doesn't you know have a filter filter in it but then you know you gotta filter out the bugs and crap sometimes so there's nothing perfect out there man i've yet to find the perfect system you know it's either they're either heavy heavy pumps or you know you gotta watch them and not let them freeze or you know, they're you, iodine, you can't do it, you know, you can't grab water real easy from like a stagnant puddle or, you know, so there's none of them have it perfectly figured out, but that's what I'm running right now. So, and then tents, and I'm not a great guy for tents, unfortunately, because I just, you know, I've run a big Agnes Copper Spur for like freaking ever, man. Um, and that thing is just, been awesome and so before that we did the fly creek from them and it was probably a little too light right if you're ultra light like early season or really trying to shave weight then it was obviously great because it's super light but it wasn't gonna handle like a real heavy snow load or ultra late season fourth season type hunt so um, and not that that fly creek, the copper spur probably isn't a four season rated tent, but it's more sturdy than, you know, it's heavier built than the, than the, uh, fly creek one. So that's what I run. And then, you know, I run, man, these, these like Kafaru type teepees and, uh, with stoves and stuff like that. It's just the later it gets in the season, it's an absolute must, man, coming back in those stoves and being able to dry all your crap out and just reset your body or whatever like it's unbelievable so that's kind of where i'm at um on tents and filtration and then let's do the last one here uh do you think treated down is just marketing <laughs> uh yes and no do i think treated down is better than regular down yeah absolutely right it's it's got it's like it's just like d this is like dwr finish on like pants right it isn't waterproof, but it's better than not DWR treated pants, right? So that's kind of how I look at these um, treated downs is like, yeah, in a pant, like it's going to be better than not, but is treated down going to be waterproof? Absolutely not. If if you think you're going to sit in a, you know, a teepee that's got uh, condensation on the inside while it rains for three days in Alaska with a down, treated down, I don't care what kind of treated down it is, and let that thing get soaked and saturated like every night while it's dripping on you or you're touching the side of the tent or whatever, um, and it's not going to flatten and, and uh, lose its you know R value or whatever, yeah, right, man. Uh, so that's obviously when a synthetic bag would be the way to go. But like I said, is treated down, like these new treated downs better than just old school down yeah i think so too so um anyway hopefully that answers your question and you know it really depends on the hunt if it gets real late season or there's a lot of you know moisture forecasted or uh you know a lot of times with these 
TPs and the condensation and stuff, then I'm taking my synthetic, even if it's, you know, a few ounces heavier or half pound heavier or whatever. Um, otherwise, I run a, I run my down bag. It's not treated down, but the shell of the outside has a little bit of a waterproof, quasi-waterproof membrane that helps. Um, and I have any problems with that, but, you know, I also don't use that bag if it's going to be like wet, wet, wet for days and days on end. So, okay, I'm home. Hope this podcast has been valuable. Uh, no pun intended, because I have elk on the mind. I am leaving tomorrow for, honestly, by the time this airs, hopefully I've already got a bull killed sitting back with my family having thanksgiving uh we'll see how it goes but i got pretty high expectations for this tag and so that can be good or bad right it's a good unit so the potential's there but i might get a little too picky and be passing bulls i shouldn't be passing or whatever we'll see but uh anyway appreciate you guys following along um as always you know no sponsor at this point and uh so the only sponsor is myself and right now that's the backpack logistics. So, you know, there's not a ton of backpacking going on this times of year, these this time of year. But, you know, if you, whatever, if you do have some late season or if you got, you know, just be thinking about us. We do these, uh, you know, we make your backpack food and backpacking logistics. That's the name of the company. Just a second thought, right? So you don't have to waste your time that you could be e-scouting or you could be, you know, just honestly hiking into the unit or, you know, showing up at the trailhead earlier. Instead, you got to pull into Walmart and get all your food together. We can eliminate that and get you on the mountain sooner and more efficiently with your food all taken care of. So, uh, look us up, backpacklogistics.com. You can do custom meals. You can order pro packs or just order all your food a la carte. And we appreciate it. So that being said, I'm out of here. I'm going hunting. See you guys. Good luck. Hey, everybody. Thank you for listening to the Finding Backcountry podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe and mention it to your friends. But the best thing you can do, leave a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast platform. For notes and links to this and other episodes, please visit findingbackcountry.com.